kid and I was like, sure, absolutely. I'd love to. Plus it helps me get ready because Saturday night services start uh, this weekend. So it helps me get ready for Saturdays coming up as Ryan announced this coming weekend. Um, even though Mike and Lisa aren't here, I wanted to just take a minute and honor them for a minute. How many people are thankful for Mike and Lisa Plunkett? They're just incredible, um, incredible people. Uh, Mike is an awesome communicator and preacher and teacher. The truth is, and I'm not just saying this like, you know, is whatever, but the truth is if I, if my best sermon was as good as his worst sermon, I'd be pretty happy and count that success. He, that's how highly I think of him, just watching him for uh, almost 10 years. This summer will be 10 years I've been at Risen King. And so 10 years preach week in and week out. And he's a guy that's usually up here preaching, uh, you know, maybe 48 Sundays out of 52 Sundays a year. He doesn't take a whole lot of Sundays off. And so I see him and he's incredible. And the cool thing is, the awesome thing is that's not his best quality or or their best quality. Mike and Lisa are genuinely incredible people. They really are. Some of the kindest, most generous people I know. And I've been around a lot of pastors and ministers uh, throughout my lifetime, and, and they are the real deal. And I'm so thankful to be here under their leadership. And the truth is, I think the way you know this is this. Um, if I didn't work here, if I wasn't on staff at Risen King, I would still attend Risen King. I would still make this my home church. That's how much I think of, of Mike and Lisa. So they're probably sleeping in right now, and they missed all that. Or maybe they're at a nice brunch, but that's all right. I wanted to honor them with a couple nice words. And, uh, you know, it's New Year's Eve, right? So everybody's ready to go out and party. That's why you slept in and came to the 11 o'clock service today. So you could go out and party all night. Um, last couple of years, we've been fortunate enough to have my mother-in-law, Ashley's mom, come and take the kids. So she's doing that again today. So we drop the kids off to her this afternoon, and then she'll bring them back to us tomorrow, hopefully not too early. And uh, the, the reality is, though, we're probably going to be asleep by like 1030, as often as the case with parents on New Year's Eve. Um, but I'm looking forward to this new year happening. And uh, I know it's a little cliche and corny, so some people are like, I don't want to hear anything about, you know, starting over and starting fresh, and you're sick of seeing everybody's resolutions on Facebook and stuff. But it's really struck me over the last couple of weeks and the last few days, even this past week as I've been preparing, how excited I am for 2018. Is anybody else with me? I think that this new year serves as a great opportunity, a great chance to really kind of hit the reset button and reimagine our lives. And that's what we're going to look at today. Uh, we're going to look at a, a biblical story in, in a minute. But I want you to look at it through this lens. What is God calling you to in 2018? What does he have for you in 2018? Maybe what visions and dreams have you let go of in the past that you want to see renewed and rekindled this year? And I'll say this, and I mean it with my whole heart. I'm expecting, I'm believing. I know that 2018 is going to be a great year. I want it to be my best year to date. I want it to be my best year ever. I don't want to go into this new year just kind of limping, dragging my feet, hoping it's not quite as bad as a previous year, or hoping it's a little bit better or this or that. I want to go in there expecting God to do big things. And so we're going to read about God doing some big things in a minute, but have that lens kind of as we look at the text. What is God calling you to? How is he calling you and asking you to expand your vision 
this new year. So if you have a Bible, um, you could open it. And, uh, you know, the truth is, I always like saying this because some people are so surprised. I haven't opened up a paper copy of a Bible in a long time. I always use my phone and my iPad. But it's the same thing. It's the same words on my iPad as it is in the paper, okay? So uh, if you have a smartphone or smart device and you've got the Bible app on there, you could open it up to 1 Kings 17. If you're old school and you got the old paper Bible, you can whip that out as well. 1 Kings chapter 17. We're going to be looking at Elijah. I like this story. The truth is this story could preach itself. All I have to do is read it. It's so exciting. Uh, But we're going to look at this together. We're going to look at it through the lens of what is God calling us to in 2018. Okay? How's he expanding and asking us to expand our vision for our lives, for our calling, for our family, for our jobs? So let's read uh, 1 Kings 17. I'm going to read it. It's up on the screen if you don't have a Bible. And hold near, you're just going to flip through for me. Thank you. Verse 1 Now Elijah the Tishbite of Tishbe, that's probably how you say that, in Gilead said to Ahab, As the Lord, the God of Israel, lives before whom I stand, there shall be neither dew nor rain these years except by my word. And the word of the Lord came to him, Depart from here and turn eastward and hide yourself by the brook Cherith, which is east of the Jordan. You shall drink from the brook, and I have commanded the ravens to feed you there, not the football team. So he went and did according to the word of the Lord. He went and lived by the brook Cherith that is east of the Jordan. And the ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning and bread and meat in the evening. And he drank from the brook. And after a while, the brook dried up because there was no rain in the land. This, I mean, we could stop the story here and you're like, wow, how great is God? How big is God? That he asks his prophet, Elijah, to say to the king of Israel, there's going to be a drought, which already you're kind of taking your life in your hands, giving a king that kind of news back in those days. So Elijah is obedient. We're going to see his obedience play out time and time again today throughout his story. But he's obedient, and he tells the king that a drought is coming. But he didn't tell him this second part until after he had already told the king. <laughs> after he told the king that the drought is coming, and later on he even tells him the drought is your fault. It's because of your sin and how you've led the people into sin. And so after he tells him that, then God says, okay, now go and hide. <laughs> That's not the most comforting of instructions. Like, do this, now you got to go hide. And he doesn't tell him that uh, it would be nice. And I, I, if this was me, I'd be like, oh, I'm going to go hide. I wonder what kind of palace, what kind of kingly place he's going to put me in. Maybe he's going to, you know, hook me up with a cool friend, and I'm going to be in a mansion. I'm going to be living large, hiding, because I just did the work of the Lord. But he says to go to a brook, stay by a brook where there's water, and you're going to get water that way because you're entering a time of drought. And for food, don't worry about food. I got a great plan. Ravens will bring you bread and meat in the morning and bread and meat in the evening. And again, that's not the football team. The ravens are nasty, unclean birds. Nasty, unclean birds. They eat bugs and insects. But they're in charge. Ooh, you guys are surprised by that. It's a bird. Anyway, so they eat bugs and insects. I'm just kidding. And, uh, you know, they're 
in charge of bringing him bread and meat. This is insane. You know, he wasn't married, but I'd imagine if he was married, can you imagine him coming home to his wife and saying, uh, you know, hey, great plan here. Our next step is to have ravens bring us food in the morning and the evening. Um, This is a crazy step of faith that God is asking Elijah to to take. It's crazy. And there's a few principles that we're going to pull out today. And the first one is this. Don't dismiss unlikely sources of God's provision in your life. You can't get any more unlikely than ravens bringing you bread and meat in the morning and in the evening. Amen? You can't get much more unlikely than that. But how many times have we maybe dismissed an opportunity, a chance, maybe we've dismissed a calling from God or, or, or a next step of faith because we thought it was just too unlikely. It was too strange. It was too weird. Well, thank God Elijah didn't do this. As the text says, he went to the brook and God fulfilled his promise. He had water. He had food brought to him by these ravens. You know, there's not an exact timeline, but uh, a lot of the scholars that I read said that he was probably there about a year by the brook because the drought lasted three and a half years, which we'll find out. And uh, most people believe he was with his, in his next place with the widow, spoiler alert, um, for about two, two and a half years. So he was probably at this brook for about a year being fed by ravens. What an act of faith that God's asked him to take, and he stepped out in obedience and did just that. You know, there's a formula here, and that is that God spoke, Elijah obeyed, and the promise is fulfilled. God spoke, Elijah obeyed, the promise is fulfilled. And that's, I think, so true in our lives as well. Not to hesitate, not to second-guess it, not to doubt it, not to say no or or dismiss an unlikely uh, source of God's provision, but to say yes to God, to obey him and see his his promise fulfilled. I'm going to jump into the text, and then I'll come back to this next slide. So after ravens feed him day and night um, for about a year, and he has nourishment from the the stream as well, the stream dries up because it's a drought. And... uh, His next step is almost just as crazy as his first step. So let's read in 1 Kings 17. This is going to be verse 8. We're going to pick up in verse 8 through 16, uh, if you don't mind advancing. Verse 8, Then the word of the Lord came to him, Arise, go to Zarephath, which belongs to Sidon, and dwell there. Behold, I have commanded a widow there to feed you. Not a king, not a prince, but a widow there to feed you. So he arose and went to Zarephath. And when he came to the gate of the city, behold, a widow was there gathering sticks. And he called to her and said, bring me a little water in a vessel that I I may drink. And as she was going to bring it, he called to her and said, bring me a morsel of bread in your hand. And she said, as the Lord your God lives, I have nothing baked only a handful of flour in a jar and a little oil in a jug. And now I am gathering a couple of sticks that I may go in and prepare it for myself and my son that we may eat it and die. And Elijah said to her, do not fear. Go and do as you have said, but first make a little cake of it and bring it to me. And afterward, make something for yourself and your son. 
For thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, the jar of flour shall not be spent, and the jug of oil shall not be empty until the day that the Lord sends rain upon the earth. And she went and did as Elijah said, and she and he and her whole her household ate for many days. The jar of flour was not spent, neither did the jug of oil become empty, according to the word of the Lord that he spoke by Elijah. Unbelievable. Just amazing. God's provision. Another unlikely source, first of all. He, he didn't go to a kingly place and a, a family of status that was wealthy and rich and, and uh, find lodging and safety and nourishment there. He went to a widow. And so he, he, he knew that it was a widow when God told him to go because you'll find a widow there. What he didn't know is that the widow would have a son and that they would both be on their last meal before they were going to eat it and die. How unlikely is this source of provision? But this is exactly what God has called Elijah to. You know, I'm just trying to think of the human aspect of this because sometimes we elevate these biblical characters to mean maybe they never doubted or there wasn't human emotion involved. If this was me, I would have met the widow and be like, say what? Last meal? Is there another widow coming? Uh, you know, maybe, maybe her husband was a nice rich man. I don't know. Something else going on here. Did I miss something? But Elijah says, oh, don't worry about it. Don't fear. Don't be afraid. You're going to make a cake for me first. <laughs> That's nice. For me first. And then yourself and your son, but the flour and the oil won't run dry. I do not want to skip over, gloss over the importance of the widow's obedience. Imagine she was not obedient. You know, I think probably God had a plan B, C, or D, more or less. And Elijah probably would have found another source of God's provision if she said no. But her and her son would have been out of luck if she did not obey. But she heard the voice of God through the prophet, and she obeyed. And because of her obedience, along with Elijah's, the flour and the oil never ran dry. Can you just turn to somebody and say, it never ran dry? Come on, tell them. I mean, this is the God we serve. The God who looks at a little jar of oil and a little jar of flour and says, don't worry, it won't run dry. It's just simply amazing. You know, another principle I want to glean from this is, uh, you know, oftentimes when God reveals a plan to us and asks something of us, he reveals one step at a time. Like when he first told Elijah, go over to the king and tell him that there's a drought coming, he didn't reveal to him that the second step was to go hide by a brook and get fed by ravens. He didn't reveal to him that his third step was go find a widow and her son, and uh, they'll be on their last meal, but that's all right. He didn't reveal all those steps to him. First of all, maybe he didn't reveal all those steps because he knew Elijah would have said no. <laughs> but um, this is the way that it is so many times in our lives. God doesn't always show us, and we don't always know what steps two, three, four, five, and six look like, but he gives us step one. And if we don't have the vision, the faith-filled vision, and capacity to see step 10 where God is leading us, we'll never have the faith to take that first step. And that's what God's calling of us. I'm going to lose half the room with this analogy, but that's all right. I'll get you back later. So Super Mario Brothers is, uh, you know, 
It's a great game. Some of the elderly folks maybe don't know anything about this, and the millennials. I'm not, oh my gosh, it's not a, I'm just saying it's a time, you know? If it's Atari, you might know, Super Mario, you don't. Anyways, whew. Um, millennials don't know about this either, by the way. But anyways, I remember, I love that game, and I think it was Super Mario Brothers 2 maybe, but there's a level with a cloud, um, you're in the sky, and you have to jump off of a landing onto a cloud. And you don't know if that cloud's going to, like, shake and fall or spin around. I think there's something else you have to jump on. It's like a red, I can see it in my mind. It's like a red bar, and it flips. I haven't played this in a few days, so I forget. But, uh, but you know, I thought that was such a picture. You never know in that game what the next step's going to be. And I thought that was such a picture of this right here. You almost never know what step two, three, and four is going to look like. But you know what step one is. And you've got to have the vision to, and the faith-filled vision at that to see what God has in plan and has in store for you to take that first step. The only thing he's asking of us is obedience. He's asking us to obey. Amen? Turn to somebody and tell them he's asking you to obey. Hopefully you told each other. So we're going we're gonna to jump into the next part of the story. We're going to pick right back up at verse 17. We've got one more part to read together here. So we're still in 1 Kings chapter 17. Now we're going to start with verse uh, 17. If I can get there. There it is. Now it, it'd be nice if... Uh, you know, after he was obedient with the, with the brook and the ravens and he was obedient with the widow and the flower and the oil, it'd be nice if that was it and it was all rainbows and cupcakes and butterflies, <laughs> you know, smooth sailing. But that's not, all, that's not usually how it works, right? There's always the next thing, the next step, the next battle. And so we're going to look at, at what happens. In verse 17, it says, After this, this uh, the son of the woman, the mistress of the house, became ill. And his illness was so severe that there was no breath left in him. And she said to Elijah, what have you against me, O man of God? You have come to me to bring my sin to remembrance and to cause the death of my son. Oh, how quickly she forgot about the flour and the oil, I guess, in this moment. And he said to her, give me your son. And he took him from her arms and carried him up into the upper chamber where he lodged. And he laid him on his own bed. And he cried to the Lord, O Lord, my God, have you brought calamity even upon the widow with whom I sojourn by killing her son? That prayer reminds me of something Job would have prayed. You know, God, what are you doing? I I don't understand this. Why is this happening? Lost my place. Then Then he stretched himself upon the child three times and cried to the Lord, O Lord, my God. Let this child's life come into him again. And the Lord listened to the voice of Elijah. I'm going to say that one more time, just for myself. And the Lord listened to the voice of Elijah. And the life of the child came into him again, and he revived. And Elijah took the child and brought him down from the upper chamber into the house and delivered him to his mother. And Elijah said, see, your son lives. And the woman said to Elijah, 
now I know that you are a man of God and that the word of the Lord in your mouth is truth. Praise God. Amen. This is our God, the one who can breathe life into what what was once dead. You know, this is the first time in Scripture that a resurrection occurs. This is the first bodily resurrection where where someone had died and was brought back to life. And I, I can't get over that line where Elijah cries out after he lays down on him three times, which I do not recommend. You can pray. Don't lay down on people. Don't want to get sued. It's a, it's a society we live in. What are you going to do? Okay. Shut him so long. Um, oh, Lord, my God, let this child's life come into him again. And then the Lord listened to the voice of Elijah. So incredible that our prayers are effective. Amen? That God hears the prayers of the righteous and the obedient. You know, we can talk a lot about this. One thing I want to talk about is at step one, God called Elijah to go to a brook and be fed by ravens. And really, the only thing at stake in a lot of ways at that point in time was Elijah himself. So if he didn't obey, um, he was affecting himself only. But then on step two, God says, go to a widow and she's going to feed you. So now if he doesn't obey at this point, he's screwing things up not just for himself but for the widow and her son. And, and not and at first just with the food but then later with this death and resurrection. So if he's not obedient when it's just him and God and then he's not obedient down the line, the stakes get higher. I'm going to say that again. I think the stakes get higher. When we're young and God's calling us to do uh, certain things, there's, there's a chance that maybe that affects just you in that moment. But down the line, as you get married, as you start a family, your obedience, your ability to hear the voice of God and step out in faith and obey the voice of God affects your entire family. And if it affects those around you in the workplace, in your job, in your business, in your school, in your community. The stakes get higher and higher. And they did for Elijah as well here. Um, his obedience was really the, the linchpin that held the provision together for the widow and her son and then eventually her son's resurrection. What an awesome God we serve. You know, I want to take a second here and just speak to you again about what we talked about at the beginning. 2018 starts in just a few hours, right? And so what is God calling you to? How is God expanding the vision you have for your life? What is God, what, what dreams is he rekindling? You know, I want you to think about that in light of this is the God who says that the flour and the oil will not run dry. This is the God who listened to the voice of the prophet and breathed new life into that dead child. And so I want you to hear the voice of the Lord this morning. You know, at Risen King, we don't believe in just coming to church and hearing a decent message and being inspired and then leaving. We believe in meeting with God. Amen? And I believe that this morning and this moment is a prophetic moment. It's a, it's a chance here on the, just on the brink of a new year for God to do new things and great things in our life. Amen? 
You turn to somebody and say, God's going to do new things. You guys are good at that. First service. First service. Man. Sorry, anybody that's listening that was also at the first service. So, you know, at this point, uh, we won't go into the full text, but I want to set up just that last, and it's not the final chapter in Elijah's story by any means, but um, for we're moving out of chapter 17 and into 18. We won't read the whole story, but I, I will um, uh, summarize part of it, and then we'll read part of it. I want to back up because uh, I think this is really important, if I can find it. Um, maybe it's up here. There it is, your vision. As, we're, as you're preparing for 2018 and, and you're asking God, even now, maybe in these moments and later on today, what he has for you. I, I ha- when I was preparing this week, I had this uh, just kind of drop into my spirit and I wanted to share it. And it's not just so you could tweet it, although feel free. Um, <laughs> praise hands, emojis, whatever you want to do. But I thought this was really powerful. If your vision doesn't require an uncomfortable amount of faith, it's probably not a big enough vision. And, I, you know, because I was, I was reading about Elijah, I'm like, all right, the ravens and uh, the widow and then laying down on top of the child three times. That's uncomfortable for both of them. But I guess he was dead when it happened, so <laughs> it doesn't matter. But at any rate, that's an uncomfortable amount of faith. I mean, and so I want to really encourage you today to just think about what he's calling you to, but also know that you've got to increase your vision to include even an uncomfortable amount of faith, even that step that's pretty scary. All right, so we're going to look at what Elijah does because I was talking about how the stakes get higher and higher. Well, now they're at the highest point. So it's been three and a half years, and it's time for the drought to end. And so Elijah kind of comes out of hiding and he, long story short, he sets up a meeting with Ahab, the king of uh, northern Israel, and um, he, he wants to have basically an event, okay? He says, gather all the people of Israel together to watch this. Now, Ahab had abandoned the God uh, that he knew, the God of Israel, and he had gone on into uh, worshiping Baal, a false god. And so, Um, Elijah said, Ahab, why don't you bring your 400 or 450 priests of the God of Baal together, and then I'm going to come by myself. I don't need any other priests or prophets with me, just me, and we're going to have a bit of a test. And he said, you're going to choose a cow, and I'll choose a cow, a bull, and uh, we're going to cut it into parts, and we're going to see which God shows up with fire to consume the sacrifice on the altar that we create. And, uh, I mean, talk about an uncomfortable amount of faith. You know, I mean, this is it. This is like, okay, my reputation's on the line and my life, and and God's reputation is on the line. His glory. We want his glory to show up. And so Elijah has the faith to take this bold step of action and obedience and all right, so they gather them all together, and there's four or 450 priests from Baal, 
and they cry and pray and dance around. The, the scripture says from morning till noon and nothing happens. So then they start to beat and cut themselves to spill their own blood onto the altar, hoping, hoping that that will incite their God to do something and to hear their, their cry. And then from noon till evening, they continue on. Nothing happens. Elijah's sitting there. He's probably just laughing. Uh, the words that he used are very ironic and sarcastic. And he basically says, I think you've had enough fun for one day. Can I please move on and, and let's get this show on the road? So Elijah builds this altar. And then we're going to read the text together where he prays. Because I think his prayer is such a great revelation of how God's calling us to pray in these moments, these faith-filled moments. So uh, we're going to read this together from... Uh, verse 36, this is chapter 18, if you're still following along. If not, you can look right up at the screen. So he says, and at that time of the offering of the oblation, Elijah the prophet came near and said, O Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known this day that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant and that I have done all these things at your word. Answer me, O Lord, answer me, that this people may know that you, O Lord, are God, and that you have turned their hearts back. Then, that's a big then, then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt offering and the wood and the stones and the dust and licked up the water that was in the trench. And when all the people saw it, They fell on their faces and said, the Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. And Elijah said to them, seize the prophets of Baal. Let not one of them escape. So I'll I'll stop there, you know, because I forgot to even mention that when he was setting this whole thing up, it wasn't enough for him just to see God come with fire. He actually had four jugs of water poured over the altar three times. So that water just soaked and drenched the sacrifice, the altar, and even filled a trench that he dug around the altar. Because he just wanted there to be no question who God was that day. He wanted there to be no question. And God came with fire. And I I think we're going to talk about this prayer here in a second. But I think it's so important here. Then the, the, when it said then, what he said right before then was, Answer me, Lord, that this people may know you and that you have turned their hearts back. I think when we make our prayer about others, God loves to show up in those moments. You know, having a great 2018, like I talked about, that's not for me. That's not just for me. That's for my family. That's for those that I'm responsible for, those that I lead. That's for the kingdom and the glory of God. Amen? And that's what we're going after. It's not about feeling good or or being good or being comfortable or whatever. It's about seeing the kingdom of God come. It's about people around us seeing what God's doing in our lives and saying he is God and turning their hearts back to him. So to break this prayer down, when he starts the prayer, he first recalls the faithfulness of God throughout generations. He said, oh, Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel. I think when we pray, it's great. It, it builds up our own soul, and it encourages us and builds our faith when we recall what God has done in the past. Amen? Amen. 
When I pray for healing for people that I love, people that I know, for my family, I recall the times that I've seen God come and heal myself for my family. And I think that's so important to recall the faithfulness of God from the past and, and from times that he's done it before. And then he reminds God as if God needs to be reminded. He says this. He says, uh, Lord God of Israel, I am your servant, and I have done all these things at your word. So he's saying, I didn't dream this up. <laughs> I didn't make all this happen. I heard you speak, and I showed up. I obeyed. So he's kind of just letting God know, I'm here because of you. Because of my obedience to your word, this is why I'm here. Okay, and then he ends with, like I said earlier, not making it about himself, but making it about God's glory and, and seeing people turn their hearts back to God. I think this prayer and this model of praying is so important in our lives. I think it's so important as, as husbands and fathers when we're praying for our family and as wives and as mothers when we're praying for our kids and for our family to pray how Elijah prayed. Amen? I want to see big things this year. You know, um, the story in one sense kind of stops there, but what about that drought? Um, right after the people cry out that God, that the Lord is God, um, Elijah tells King Ahab, he said, uh, go eat and drink because the drought is over. That's what he said. I hear the sound of rushing rain or gushing rain. Now, it hadn't started raining yet, but that's what Elijah says to King Ahab. He says, go and eat and drink because the drought is over. And as the story goes, he goes up to the peak of the nearby mountain, and he gets down on his knees and his face to the ground, his face between his knees, and he cries to the Lord, and he sends a messenger seven times to look out at the horizon over the sea to see if a cloud had started to form. And on the seventh time, the messenger says, I see a small cloud begin to form the size of a hand. And then it expands and the whole sky becomes filled and black and the rains pour down and the drought is over. You know, I think that's a prophetic word this morning. Elijah prophesied that to the king before, the, before it started raining. He said, go eat and drink. The drought is over. Even though it didn't feel like it was over. Even though it hadn't started raining, I think that's so important in our lives. Could you turn to somebody and just say that the drought is over? I'm going to call Anwar up. The drought is over. I'm, I'm holding on to that in 2018. I'm holding on to that word in 2018, that the drought is over. That this is the God we serve, the God who, who brings the rain, the God who ends the drought the God that provides through unlikely sources like ravens and widows that are on their last meal. This is the God that we serve. And, and this is what I'm holding on to for my new year. You know, I talked earlier about sort of expanding your vision. And I'm gonna, we're going to close with this in a minute. I don't preach as long as Mike. Sorry about that. Man, I had a nice big compliment for him, and I think I've offended him twice. That evens out. Um, yeah, I said earlier about how if, if your vision doesn't require an uncomfortable amount of faith, it's probably not big enough vision. And I was listening to, I have a few different favorite preachers besides Mike 
that I listen to, and um, one of them is uh, Bishop T.D. Jakes. I love him. Man, he can preach. So um, he was talking about vision and prayer and faith, and he said this. He said, we got a bunch of Christians that are praying for tables and chairs. They need tables, and they need chairs. And so they're, they spend all their time and energy begging God for tables and chairs. But he said, here's the thing. God doesn't make tables and chairs. God's never made a table or a chair. What he makes is trees. And it's up to us to have the vision to see that when he gives us a tree, it could turn into a table and a chair. I thought that was so powerful. And that requires a lot of faith and a lot of obedience to see a tree and think that that's going to turn into the table and the chair. And so this morning, um, as you just think about this coming year and you think about dreams and visions, you think about plans for your life and for your family, I think God's calling us to expand our vision. You know, maybe not to, I'm going to go ahead and say it this way, and I think I hope you hear my heart, not to waste time asking for tables and chairs but seeing what God has given us, seeing the vision, knowing that you're not going to see step two, three, four, five, and six all at once. You see one step at a time. And he's also calling us to see his provision in unlikely sources and in unlikely places like ravens and widows. I know one thing. He requires one thing from us, a sacrifice of obedience a sacrifice of obedience. You guys stand together. And I said earlier, we don't believe in just hearing a message and going home. I think this is a word that you could take with you and think about and think through, um, you know, in the coming days and weeks. But at the same time, I think this moment is really important. I think this moment, the spirit of the Lord's here in this place And he's already speaking to people. I know he's already speaking to your heart. I know for some of you, there's some dreams and and visions that died long ago, that you gave up on long ago. I know some people are facing some impossible, seemingly impossible circumstances, whether it's a sickness or a broken relationship or a an issue at job. You don't have a job. You're looking for the next thing. What you have isn't enough. I know there's some big needs in the room. But I know that we serve a God who breathes new life. He breathes new life. We serve a God who takes a small jar of oil and flour and says that it won't run dry and he makes it last this is the God we serve Lord we are your people You are our God. And my prayer now is that your spirit who is here in this place would be released in this room to move on our hearts, 
to speak to us clearly, to breathe new life into what was once dead. Spirit, Holy Spirit, would you increase our capacity to see how you see? Lord, even even though it's a little scary, even though it requires some uncomfortable amounts of faith and trust, Lord, we long to hear your voice and to take that first step. My prayer is, God, that we would be a people of obedience not a people that shrink back, not a people that dismiss what's next because it seems unlikely or it seems a little crazy. This is my prayer this morning, God. And before we close, I just want to say with your, you know, just receive this. So you can even put your hands out to receive with your eyes closed. And would you receive this prophetic word, the drought? is over it's starting to rain the drought is over and it's starting to rain Lord let that be true in every life here and in every heart here let that be true for our church for our families for our community And this is for your glory, for the expansion of your kingdom so that people would look and see that you are God and turn their hearts to you. This is our prayer. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen. 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 Give God praise. So there's a whole lot of people here. If you want to pray, if you want to hang out at all, we'll be up front. There's a prayer team here if you need to. Thank you for being here. Have a fun night. And I've been waiting to say this all day. We'll see you next year.